And who am I? That's not a secret I'll never tell. You know you love me. XOXO. Gossip Welcome back to XOXO, a Gossip Girl recap podcast presented by Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. I am Joe Lipset, and I'm joined, as always, by Ari Drew. Hi, Ari. Hi, girlies. <laughs> and also Jenny Nolf. Hi, Jenny. Hello, hello. All right, folks, we are up to Season 2, Episode 3, Great Reputations. And folks, we are party crashing at the Guggenheim. What did we think of how badly this whole political evening goes down? Oh, I this is the this is the kind of uh, gossip girl setup that I love. Again, I mm-hmm. mentioned this before, but I love when they do like the big New York City nightlife events and socialite events and then just make a fucking mess of it. <laughs> yeah, I love when they like tear the adults world down. But also I what I enjoyed the most is that Julian finally said, you know what, Hobie, fuck you. She joined the rest of us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, seeing seeing everybody, I don't know, whatever they're doing, like they're taking pills <laughs> of some kind, but it was very gratifying because, you know, we, we spent a large part of last episode wondering at what point Max and his paramours were going to come down the stairs and ruin the dinner party. So it was kind of extra fun to see, oh, we've got a new batch of half-naked teens, except now they're just running around this like immaculate <laughs> museum. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I love. I just love the energy in this episode. I thought that it, it, this felt like it just again. It's like it feels. You can feel the show's confidence, but like in mm-hmm. another vein because this feels like these kids are just being free. They're just being themselves. This is like the kind of I don't know. It made me really happy. Like at the end of the episode, I was just smiling. They really are dismantling the uh, patriarchy and matriarchy in this episode. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the parents are definitely revealing themselves to be a bunch of dicks in this episode, but that's not entirely surprising when we're veering into political lanes. So we are spending a bunch of time with Obi and Brooke and Brooke's mother, who we learn is basically a conservative politician wannabe. And okay, let's just talk about the Obi and the Brooke stuff right off the top so we can be done with it. (laughs) Basically... (laughs) He wants to make a good impression, and she thinks that it's all going to be fine, and it turns out that his mom is actually fine with him. It's that she doesn't trust Julian not to make a kerfuffle in public, and of course, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I think uh, the the thing I will say that is a plus from the uh, this whole Brooke subplot Mm-hmm. is the whole outing that uh, with uh, Monet and Julian basically fighting over to be her BFF. Mm-hmm. But it led to so many wonderfully hilarious and awkward interactions and some great mm-hmm. catty moments between Monet and Julian. So I say right. that to say I am glad that we got to see the focus kind of there as opposed to just on Brooke and Obi, you know, dealing with Mama. Yeah, shockingly enough, when you move the Brooke Obie storyline into the line of fire between Monet and Julian, things got a little bit more exciting, right? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is like, I love that they, you know, uh, that they're both coming to 
this desire to want to be, be close to Brooke as far as uh, Julian and Monet, that is for different reasons. And mm-hmm. of course, Julian is, uh, you know, convinced herself that it is for a really positive reason. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> per usual. Yeah. The positive reason of, you know, reconciling with your ex-boyfriend who treated you like shit. Oh, yep. God. I mean, at least they have better chemistry than he does with any of the other actors on this cast. So part of me was like, well, if we're going to play this long game, I guess Julian and Obi do make more sense than him and anybody else. Right. I mean, they're going to get back together eventually. Oh, sure. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. this season or the next, but they're or, they're the end all if they're end game. But uh, I hope not. You know, I honestly hope that they subvert that expectation because I know it feels like the main focus of the show especially from the outset like all of the posters featuring uh zoya and julian and then obi in the middle and then you Mm -hmm. actually watch the show and you're like "Mm, there are way more interesting characters and subplots here that that uh really should have been pushed to the front but yeah jenny i really hope that doesn't happen i fear that it will just because it's kind of the you know the whole formula but who mm-hmm. wants that at this point? Like, who even remembers Obi? <laughs> we <laughs> did it last episode. <laughs> so, I mean, here's the thing. Jordan Alexander is such a dynamic actor that saddling her <laughs> with someone like Obi, and no shade to Eli Brown, I really do think it's more the character than the actual it actor. It is, it is. It's just like they they haven't cracked Obi and putting him with a boring Milkato stand in like Brooke was lethal for the show's momentum. So, you know, all of a sudden now it's like, OK, we've got a bit more of a problematic family with her. She's secretly cheating on him with some dude that we find some out at dude. the end of this episode. Oh, the Ruby. I'm like, yeah. OK, cool. So she's not just like a recovering alcoholic she's got some other skeletons in the closet that could make her a legitimately interesting character but all this to say i just i want better storylines for jordan alexander as julian because seeing her go up against monet is so satisfying because the show can actually put both of the respective actors' talents to good use, as opposed to being like, all right, you got to prop up this deadweight storyline over here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I will say just kind of back to, you know, Brooke and Obi, I do appreciate the ending. I, it was one where I was like, oh, shit, thank God, like, let's make mm-hmm. her. And you could tell, too, because the other the other character that is one of her best friends. Um, oh, Lord, help me with the name, please. Oh, the the yeah, just the faux lesbian, right? The fake lesbian, yes, from Exeter. So the Exeter, <laughs> the Exeter Monet, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that whole thing. I, there was that that part earlier where I think Monet says something to her, and she's like, "Brooke, like that Brooke, like uh, like alluding to the fact that this character has something going mm-hmm. on that everyone else is not quite aware of." Yeah, I'm. I, not to speed ahead to like an actual like plot no, line that's do. really good. <laughs> um, I did like the Monet storyline where she was going for someone to be her girlfriend so she could mm-hmm. have like this like power couple. Yeah, power couple going on. But then she has to make a tough choice by saying no to this woman who has uh, queer baited literally all of New York leet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I loved it because it was like, I don't know, it's like, I, I like, she's just more of a multifaceted character. It's not, she's not just like, 
bitchy, you know, queen bee, you know, would be. So she's she's also like a queer character who really values and has integrity in that aspect of her identity. And and I love that she's not willing to sacrifice that uh, ultimately with this, you know, with this uh, faux lesbian. <laughs> yeah. And I think Savannah Lee Smith really nailed the combination of, you know, Monet is a super ambitious girl. She she wants to be someone who's important and she feels like she has hidden her starlight and her power behind Julian and Julian has been unappreciative. Like, I think they did a really good job of figuring out that that's what drives this character. But as we've been talking about these last couple of episodes, by humanizing her, by making her, yes, a bit of a villain, but also someone who is still vulnerable, someone who can be hurt. You know, I think that Savannah Lee Smith really sells how sad she is when it is revealed, oh, no, that we're just kissing for a photo op for Gossip Girl. I don't actually have any interest in you. And you you can see it all over her face. And mm -hmm. I just think it's such a great moment for this character. And it leads to this fantastic reconciliation with Julian, where Julian is like, I know you want to be in a battle with me, but I care about you as a person. And it leads to that great ending where Monet joins the group in a group hug outside of the museum after all of the funny shit has gone down. And I don't think it's a piece that's going to last but I really like this as an end of the episode. Yeah, no, I completely agree. That was the moment where it's like, I mean, it's again, at their core, independent of all the drama, they're just like party rich kids, partying rich kids, and that's what they're doing. But <laughs> watching it with this kind of like, I don't know, like this pure free spirit approach and everyone is just together at the end and hugging on each other. It was really sweet. It actually felt like a, I don't know, like a season one finale or like some kind of finale mm -hmm. of sorts. But to, to backtrack a little bit, because I do think we jumped ahead to Monet's plot um, without touching on some other very, very funny interactions. Mm -hmm. So Monet and Julian trying to vie for Brooke's BFF slot by uh -huh. going, you know, she goes for uh, like a private, uh, what is that? What is, I don't even like know what fitting? the phrase is. <laughs> private shopping, I guess. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so them doing that, it just, there were so many lines that I just, Monet had, Julian had some wonderful moments. Um, one is Monet, uh, whenever Julian basically gets herself invited to this two person, you know, little, little private shopping experience, uh, Monet's like, that's fine. Just watch my back for fountains or something to that effect, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> And uh, and then whenever she's uh, Jewel or Monet is basically feeding back uh, Brooke's Wikipedia to her to try to make it mm -hmm. seem like she's really interested in her, and Julian <laughs> looks and realizes she's on the phone, and she just hangs up the phone hangs for up. her. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. It was so good. And she hangs it up like in the middle of a line that she was going <laughs> to yeah. feed to Brooke, and she was just like, "When you were um." Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then Brooke is like none the wiser because she's a dumb dumb. She's a dumb. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I mean, if it's revealed that Brooke is ultimately the big bad, like she is the duplicitous villain and she's been playing everybody, I might actually be happy by all of this. But yeah, uh everything about this storyline makes her look like a fucking idiot. But you're right, Ari. It gives us some fantastic moments between Monet and Julian. Oh, yeah. And I think, too, the ending with Brooke, to me, with where it's revealed that she has another guy that she's been seeing, 
I want to say, and and my husband brought this up, but it's like, oh, that must be like that Obi's her beard of some sort. It's like maybe something about this guy is like yeah. not approvable by her mom, who is this uh-huh. public figure. Oh, so I could 100%. see that happening. That I Do you think it's a racial thing? That. I think it might oh, be. Yeah, I could. I mean, I could see it. The way they talked about the mom throughout the episode, it seems like she'd probably be a racist. So I'm not, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised. I mean, she definitely, the mom hates Julian and basically told Obi that he can't even, like, look at her in a hallway. So I'm, I right. would I would suspect that there's definitely some of that. Uh, but also, I don't know. I thought maybe he's poor. <laughs> I was yeah, like, that could be also be like, like, she's so wit- rich and wealthy that, like, and Obi is so... He doesn't like the idea of it, but he's so perfect on paper, like, and his parents are also, like, extremely, like, high in society. Like, he's boring, and that's why mm-hmm. she has to pick him. Yeah. She picked him because he's boring. <laughs> yep. No, I mean, that's the funniest thing, right, is that of all of the people you could date, Obi is absolutely the safest one if you're a politician's daughter, because, <laughs> I mean, except for his friends, he's not going to make waves. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And that that actually made it makes sense to me because and I want to see that like I want to see her true side come out. Like if there's more to her, I want to see it and I want it to be completely a 180 from what we've been seeing, you know, in private because she's boring too <laughs> the way we've mm-hmm. seen it. It's like, okay, the boring the most boring couple ever. Let's put them yeah, on the We screen. need to spice this up. Yeah, ASAP. definitely. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if like dating by dating Brooke and having her mom like hover over like Obi, if it's gonna eventually make it very obvious that he's not as liberal as everyone mm. as he like presented himself in the first mm-hmm. season. Yeah, because yeah, we still had be to sneak in that line from Brooke where they're like walking into the gala and. I think Brooke says something to the effect of, oh, you know, usually you're on the other side of the fence. And I was just like, yeah, right. Because we're still pretending he pickets this kind of shit. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because her mom says something like, oh, he's your family's used to this. And he's like, yeah, he's on the other Mm. side usually. Sure. That's his performative nature. We get it, Obi. We get it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So speaking of performative, let's talk about the Nick Zoya storyline, because we thought that it was going to come to a head, and lo and behold, it does, but this time it's Zoya who's being incredibly frustrating and not her father. I, you know what, like, I actually, though, sided with her a lot more than I did during the dinner party where Nick was just being a a little poopy baby, but, like, (laughs) I... I thought that she was right to be suspicious and ultimately she, you know, there is, we know that he took the money from, mm-hmm. from Julian's dad, like Davis. Thank you. We, we, we are very aware of that. So I, I kept waiting for like what was going on to really feed directly into that, but it just seemed like a different, you know, kind of, oh, he's just kind of uh, pitting one offer against another offer. And that's what she uncovers. Mm-hmm. But um, but I did think that she was right to be more suspicious about it um, because she was trying to defend him. And then she caught him in a lie, essentially. So but yeah, I mean, again, it's still one of those things where it's like, all right, like the ending of the their arc or their um, plot this episode gave me some promise for, OK, now we're going to get some real juicy drama as right. opposed to this kind of just like acting out BS. 
Yeah, I think this just felt too predictable to me. I kept hoping that we were going to do something a little bit different or it would play out in a unique fashion. And it played out exactly the way I think we all expected, which it's not bad per se, because you're right. Our, you know, Nick is absolutely lying to her. He's he's a hypocrite in terms of the way he's parenting her but she's just so annoying with the way that she refuses to listen to anybody and she's so pious like as much as we're saying that obi is boring at least he's not pious like zoya is so i'm hopeful that you're right that this will shake up their relationship to the point where they will have to okay you know yeah i just took this super rich dude's offer now we're firmly in bed with two bad men Mm -hmm. the dahans as well as davis and yet i don't know i i don't have high hopes for this i'm still waiting for something with zoya to click and i don't know what i don't know what it's going to take for the show to break out of this funk with her yeah, I kind of agree. This was like, I'm so not into the Nick versus Zoya. Zoya, first off, needs to stop feuding with people that are in her family. She needs to branch out mm-hmm. a little bit more. <laughs> she needs to start <laughs> feuding with the, the community at large. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Literally um, anyone else. <laughs> but it also was a little bit too tacky villainous when like Nick, like, De- like Mr. Dehan was like, Oh, that's exactly the kind of two-timing mm-hmm. I like at my firm. <laughs> I'm <laughs> evil. <laughs> and then Nick is like, yeah. Yeah, like, that's okay. very like OG gossip girl. But it was so like on the nose. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like that we're setting up the adult Dahans to be absolutely despicable people. And like whenever they enter a storyline, I mean, really, we're we're really coming down hard on wealthy conservatives on this show, which I think is appropriate because, you know, eat the rich and all that shit. But um, yeah, there there's not a lot of nuance to any of this particular stuff with like, oh, if you have tons of money, you're either a lovable goof like our teenagers, but if you're an adult, then that means that you are awful. You have no redeeming qualities. That perspective is actually so it reminds me a lot of like what like I have I had a lot of friends who had you know notably more money than I did growing up and mm-hmm. one of them would always repeat the oh if you're a if you're a conservative at whatever that saying is, if you're a conservative at 20, you have no heart. If you're a liberal at 30, you have no brain. And it's just like, that is such a gross, mm. like, like classist bullshit. It's, I, it, you know, it's that kind of thing. So in a way, it's skewering those people rightfully. But, you know, I don't know. I just thought it, I, again, at, right now, especially with, uh, with the Dahans, I'm just choosing to like revel in like, oh, wow, these are some terrible shitty people (laughs) like Mm -hmm. they are not like just like most of the adults in this show are but yeah definitely lacking the nuance there yeah maybe it's just that i've been watching too many too many hallmark movies where it's like oh well if you're at all interested in money then you must be a complete sellout and or villain so part of me is like oh i'm maybe just seeing a little too much of this because you know what i'm sorry we all do need to live and in in order to do that you do have to earn money and sometimes you want a little bit more money so that you can you know save up for a nest egg or buy yourself something nice every once in a while but i'll climb off my classic soapbox and 
<sighs> Do we have anything that we want to say about the Kate Mike storyline? We've got some hot new headmistress who Mike seems to know, and Kate is all of a sudden feeling very jealous and insecure. I'll say that I feel like it was more so... There there definitely is meant to be some jealousy there, but I do think it was more about her, like, fearing for her job. Mm-hmm. Since he realized, you know, she realized, like, oh, they know each other. And he, you know, he he's could tell her tell. that I was the one who got <laughs> the other one. I mean, it's pretty clear, like, you know, he's going to be the one who's going to expose me as getting the last headmistress fired. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but we also did get the um, the dad subplot here, too, with Kate's dad. And right not hot on this <laughs> it's very shamey huh yeah so so i actually didn't mind it i i like that okay. it gave i'd I like that it gave kate and mike a chance to connect at the mm-hmm. end and i love and you know i liked him kind of like giving her the cold shoulder for much of it and then he didn't believe that she actually was going to go get her dad but i actually like how they handled the reveal of this because she was acting pretty odd to him for mm-hmm. a while and to his new uh, girlfriend or fiance and it's kind of weird because he plays a little bit just like a goofy dad who's mm-hmm. oh he, he, what does he call her kiwi or you know he has a like, cute little names for her he's trying to make her yep. banana pancakes without bananas and they taste like shit it looks like it's just <laughs> like you know trying to be it, it's representing him as a certain type of character and then you realize like oh he's been like a very unreliable father and he has these issues with addiction that have impacted his life and have put Kate, mm-hmm. it seems like, in the caretaker position. So I do think that there is actually more nuance than not in this because that's a scenario that exists a lot. And you see it a lot with, I think, adults who, who kind of like seem older than they are, which she, I don't know if that's a, the, the actress or if that is like how Kate is presented, but it's something about that speaks to this, like, I had to grow up too fast. And so this actually right. gave context to that for me. But that may be me just looking at it through, like, you know, like, family trauma, like, attachment issues, <laughs> childhood <laughs> shit, <laughs> psychology. Events. Are we projecting a little bit, Ari? <laughs> uh, yes, probably. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I like the outcome. I didn't care for most of what we were actually seeing, but... Kate's realization, you know what, I don't want to be like my father and just make empty promises that I never actually change or do better for myself. You know, I thought, okay, here's a nice opportunity to do something a little more emotional, maybe a little more tugging on the heartstrings at Saccharin, but it's a good opportunity to take this character a baby step forward to self-actualization. And I thought that that was kind of nice. I, I thought that was nice. I The one thing that I was not hot on specifically is I don't love when stories use, like, a, a certain type of, like, trauma with, like, parents or parental figures. Mm. And then have the potential romantic interest just, like, trot along and see all, the, like, the... Look at my shame. Yeah, look at all my shame. Look at all my mm. shit. And then he's like, oh, now I, I feel kind of bad for you I now. Maybe I start you. to like you now because <laughs> I love, because like yeah. my dad mistook you me as your boyfriend. And I'm just like, I, that's the part I wasn't hot on admittedly. I was just like, okay. uh, no. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. And, and honestly, from her perspective too, knowing that she's picking up her dad from jail 
mm-hmm. then tells him to tag along, that could feel a little bit manipulative. Like it's using a little your, weird. Yeah. It was a little weird. I was like, okay, Mike, maybe go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go home. Like, yeah, sure, you don't believe me? Cool. I'll fill you in. Like, yeah, I get like the the turn up, like, you know, wanting to get her back in his good graces as this being the way that the show tried to handle it. But yeah, that that it was a little clunky there. Um, again, like the stuff with the dad, I like that direct connection between Kate and her dad. I thought was I I really liked how it was done and and revealed and and then at the end too, where he doesn't even apologize for what he did. He's like, I know what you're mm-hmm. thinking, and I put bananas in at the time. And then it's just kind of you see that look of like, yeah, like, this oh, is going to be how dad. it is all the time. <laughs> yeah, this is how it is. It's just I actually thought that that was a little more nuanced than I would have expected from that that kind of subplot that did feel like it was a vehicle for her and Mike to reconnect. But yeah, but yeah, you know, overall I didn't have a problem with it, but Jenny, I absolutely see where you're coming from. All right. Um, anything else from this episode? There was a line that I thought you would have noted Jenny, and I don't know if you did. And I think (laughs) Luna says it, but it's something about like, you might as well move to Austin. Yeah. Oh my god, that's the one I like my my favorite line. I actually rewound it and was like, no. Because <laughs> she's talking about how Max is just nose dope. Like like his reputation as being bad boy, cool. Everyone wants to like be you and be with you. Uh like reputation is just like, yeah, nose diving. And she's mm-hmm. just like, you like, you're so irrelevant, you might as well have moved to Austin. And I was like, ouch, okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Trace and I were like, ooh. <laughs> okay, oh, ma'am. Singer. Wow, ouch. (laughs) And then the the other winner this week for me was um, Wendy, where she meets uh, Kate's dad and immediately she's like, do I seem like a lot to you? Which (laughs) I thought was great. And then later she like exposes uh, Jordan for like basically trying to convince Mike that Kate's not a bad person. And she's like, yeah, she she sent him here. And he's like, why did you do that? She's like, I'm a lot. <laughs> so she had some, Wendy has some great delivery. I, I love hearing her just get like the most ridiculous lines. Wendy's chaotic energy uh, yes. consistently makes the adults, or the teachers seem brighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like Gossip Girl has a better handle on how to use this particular character as well. Like, we're going to pepper her in whenever we need a little zinger or just a weird kind of a side. Like, wait, what? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's her and Luna. <laughs> her they, and Luna. They are mm-hmm. the, they're the winners. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, they're clearly the characters that the writers like to write for the most. Oh, yeah, they have they have the most fun with them. And probably they're like, hey, this is dragging a little bit. Let's put one of them in here and have them mm-hmm. say something crazy. And it Pick works. it up a little. <laughs> All right. Well, we're headed to episode four next week. So, folks, I'm interested. Where do you think we're headed next? Yeah, this is getting tough for me because I again, like I said, the ending of this where they're all together, it feels almost like a mid-season finale, if you could call it that. There's a couple of big revelations here, right? Yeah, and just like the way that start some of the um, you know, the the plots like between the rivalry between Monet and Julian mm-hmm. get resolved in a way that is really satisfying, but it, they do seem to yes. get resolved. I don't again, I don't know if that's going to be a stick like you, Joe. Like I'm not sure how long mm-hmm. that'll last, but yeah, I'm kind of like I feel like it's going to take a turn, and I and I 
again, I am really glad that this uh, the seasons for this reboot are shorter because a problem I had with the original series is just how much it dragged out the same shit over and over and redid it again over right. and over. And it does feel like this is trying to like give you the goods, but in smaller chunks. So I'm hoping for, I don't know, a surprise. I, I want to see something go in a really unexpected direction next. Okay. Jenny, what do you think? I mean, first off, I told you Mike was fishy. Uh, (laughs) Yep, we get confirmation here. He's looking after, he's looking into Gossip Girl. But like, come on, dude. How do you not know it's Kate? Like, (laughs) staring at you in the face. I'm like, this guy who teaches Russian literature who could take like a two-year sabbatical is just like... (laughs) Who is I love how we can't let it go. We can't. Yeah, we're gonna have to keep going back to two years sabbatical every episode. <laughs> Who is like Snoopy enough to like get the headmistress like fired? Can't mm-hmm. figure out that like right in front of his face that Kate is Gossip Girl. Like, come on. You know what they could do that would make it interesting though is if he does see if he does already know and then he's just kind of trying to like manipulate something somehow. Again, I'm just thinking of like, hey, what can we do that's going to really subvert? Because there are things that I'm like, okay, I don't want to see that plot play out again in a show and take that long to play out. So if he does, you know, whatever. I hope he finds out that she is Gossip Girl like next episode, honestly, at this point. Yeah, I I think he will. And the big question will be, who is he trying to figure this out to? Right. Like, who is he texting about this? Because I have a suspicion, Ari. That it could be Georgina. That's what I was thinking as well. Oh, intriguing. Yeah, I, I'm curious to know what the connection is. But yeah, I, I have a very similar suspicion. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering mm-hmm. when she was going to show up. I mean, I feel like they announced it. So she'll show up in these six episodes. I'm like hoping. I think it's it'll not be like the last six. one, though. Uh, yeah. Okay. If she's the last <laughs> shot, I will be so pissed off. Where it's just like her being like, hey, it's me. And it's just like, God damn it. We need more of this. We need more. I of mean, it. we already. Sorry, am I misremembering this from last season? But that like tiny boy with the teacup on the That's steps. her son. Her son, yeah. her son right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we did not acknowledge that in our recap because I will fully confess I slept through that reveal. And it wasn't until I was talking with your husband, Ari, that he was like, well, you know, they've already name dropped her. Like we've already seen a connection. I was like, wait, what? What, what did I miss? <laughs> I love that character, too. And that episode, because it's such a massive episode in that season. But it's like, I didn't even nope, hear it. it entirely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, I don't know if it's her son, but it's her nephew. No, it's her son. It's her son or it's her son? Okay, I couldn't remember. It's been a while. I just loved Mr. Little Teacup. He has not come back yet, by the <laughs> way. And I really need him to come back. He is so funny yeah he is and he yeah because in in the original series georgina gets pregnant and she tries to convince or she has a baby i guess and she tries to convince dan that it's his and it's and then it's not so i think this is meant to be the same baby but oh my god yeah Mm -hmm. bring back dan (laughs) right oh jenny get out (laughs) bring back the original gossip girl (laughs) okay this podcast is over goodbye No, Dan sucked. <laughs> he did suck, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is see Penn Badgley like living his best life on you to know that Gossip Girl did not know what to do with Dan. Oh, it didn't. No, they could have made him a creeper in Gossip Girl. He would have been way more likable. He's clearly very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, if folks want to talk about episode three with you, Ari, how would they get a hold of you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Ari Drew, T-H-E-A-R-I-D-R-E-W. 
Okay. And Jenny? You can find me at Jenny Lee X33, and Lee is L-E-I-G-H, uh, pretty much anywhere, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Excellent. And if folks want to get a hold of me, you can do so at bstolemyremote, and that's the letter B. And uh, if you want to send us anything, you can send us long-form stuff at hkhspod at gmail.com, or just use the hashtag hkhspod. But that is it for episode three. We'll be back for episode four next week. And until then, XOXO. You know you love me. XOXO. Gossip Girl.